Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Saints in Society. Today is extra special for me because I'm here with my wife, Jenna. We're going to do pornography part three, kind of the wife's perspective or hearing things from from the side of the wife. And so uh, today we're going to talk about Jenna's experience after initially receiving my confession of a porn addiction and what it's looked like over the last year and a half and how she's found help and healing and a greater love for Jesus and understanding of the gospel. So thanks for being with us. Hope you find this helpful. Let's get into it. This is Saints in Society, a podcast with the aim and focus on equipping saints to live in and engage with their society. Through discussion and diving into the word, we seek to learn how to engage culture in its terms, but not of it. We believe the gospel speaks to all areas of life and provides all the answers we are looking for. So we aim to equip saints with applying the gospel to our lives, living as saints in society. All right, Jenna, we always start off with an icebreaker question, as I'm sure you're well aware, since you're our biggest fan. (laughs) Uh, Here's the question. Which of our kids is your favorite? Oh, that's not fair. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, No, actual question is, what are two or three things that are on your bucket list? Uh, As long as I can remember, hopping a train was on my bucket list. Hopping a train? Yeah, I don't know that I would ever actually do it. Like while it's moving? Slowly. But yeah, you have to hop the train while it's moving. Why was that on your bucket list? I don't know. I probably saw a movie where they did it. And I thought it would be cool to do it. But I would be so scared to actually do that. I don't think I really could. Yeah. And how long do you ride before you just hop back off? Well, you want to be able to get back home. So you can't go too far. You could Uber back home. Yeah. Uh, Okay, what else? Um... Probably to visit Europe. Okay. Somewhere. Switzerland. I don't know when I would do that, but. Okay. Maybe someday. Travel Europe. Mm-hmm. Anything else? That's mm-hmm. it. Traveling Europe is also on my bucket list. Really? Yeah. That was one of the things I was thinking of. Where would you go? Uh, wherever you went. Oh. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like maybe Switzerland, Alps, mountains, that kind of thing. But also... Italy, Greece, like those places, the Mediterranean, I also think would be really fun. Mm -hmm. So maybe two trips to Italy, one mountain, one ocean. Okay. The other thing on my bucket list is to do a moose hunt. I really want to hunt a moose. moose. Probably Alaska, because I feel like that'd be the total experience, but you could also do Canada. I think you can also hunt moose in Wyoming, but I think Alaska would be fun. Do like an Alaskan trip where you're fishing and catching salmon and then hunting moose. How long of a trip does that I don't know. Take? It'd probably be a week at least. Yeah. And they do, you could do it different ways where you boat in somewhere or they fly you in somewhere and drop you off. But I think that'd be a lot of fun to do an Alaskan moose hunt. What is scary to be that close to a moose? Uh, they're well, huge, aren't they? They're very large. No, it'd be exhilarating. It'd be like adrenaline. You wouldn't be all shaky? Oh, I'd probably be shaky. Okay. But yeah. And then the other thing on my bucket list is to learn an instrument. It's never too late to learn new skills. You used to play the drums, right? Yeah, kind of. So I could do that again. What would you learn? Either, yeah, keep do the drums or guitar or the kazoo. Mm, I could take a while to learn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. We are doing this podcast, Pornography Part 3, and my wife Jenna is here. 
The reason for this podcast is, well, one of the reasons is that in our church, uh, it's been really encouraging to see uh, men come forward and confess their addictions and struggles with pornography. But then what we've found is that oftentimes the wife, if the if the guy is married, uh, feels very alone and uh, kind of left out. There's a lot of almost like trauma response and care for uh, for the man, for the husband who confesses to this. And the wife can kind of get pushed to the side a little bit because of so much focus and attention on the husband. There's also, I think, a shame factor and even like a protection factor. Wives probably don't want to, don't feel like they can get help because they don't want to expose their husband to, you know, and his issues with their friends or or something like that. And so, yeah, I think I think what we found is that the wife in this in situations where there's uh, struggles with pornography often feels left out uncared for. Uh, as a church, we've been trying to do a better job of that, but we thought that doing a podcast and hearing from Jenna, uh, the wife's side of the story and her experience um, from our story uh, would be beneficial and helpful. So if you have not listened to the first two episodes that we have done on this topic, pornography part one and part two, then stop right now and go back and listen to those because that's going to provide a lot of helpful context for our conversation today. About a year and eight months ago, a year and a half ago, I confessed to Jenna and had a long-standing addiction to pornography. And so the last year and a half, almost two years has been her and I working through and he, what healing looks like and, and recovery and building trust and all that kind of stuff. And so that that's that's like the very short version of our story. The longer version, uh, you can you can listen to that first episode and, and I share it there. Um, but what we want to do now, what we want to do in this episode is have Jenna share her side of the story. And hopefully it's a resource and um, an encouragement to other women who might be in a similar boat as she was and is. Um, so that's that's the goal today. How are you feeling about it? <laughs> I'm pretty nervous. What are you nervous about? Um, I just want to speak clearly. I want to yeah. be encouraging. I want to not bumble over my words. Um, yeah. But you're going to do great. It's important, I think. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. Women can tend to be forgotten in this process and it affects the wives just as much. So, yeah, uh, this isn't a question I prepped you on. Won't be the last time I ask you one of those. But, uh, how? So we made the claim that oftentimes wives and women feel left out in this. Did you feel that? What was your experience like um, after confession? And then what came next? Did you feel cared for and, and supported? And if so, how? Like, yeah, what was your experience like with the care and support after that? Mm-hmm. I did feel cared for. Um, I'm thankful that I wasn't in that kind of stereotype of not being cared for. Um, I think I was pretty naive to um, how long of a process it was. So I felt very, I did, I felt very cared for. And with how long that process, my friends, my community continued to care for me. Um, So I think a lot of it is just being honest with your friends and continuing to come back and be honest with them and giving them the opportunity to care for you. But yeah. I did feel very cared for. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's start with this. What was your initial reaction? So when I, uh, when I shared with you, when I confessed my sin to you, what range of emotions did you experience and go through? What were your thoughts about me, marriage? Kind of walk us through your side of the story from that moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you and Rick 
came over and I had no idea what was happening. Um, and you shared, you confessed, Rick kind of helped guide that conversation. But um, I was really shocked, very uh, blindsided, but like almost emotionless. It was something I didn't even know about you. So I didn't even really know how to respond. Um, I think I was, like I said, emotionless um, and kind of just confused. Like pornography is not a world that I really understand. I, I understand it more now, but I, I didn't understand it at all. And so I was confused. I didn't really understand the like severity of what you were confessing to me either. So yeah, it was kind of a lot of just silence. Um, and that lasted for maybe a, a day. Um, I think after that, we started talking more. Um, the door was kind of left open for me to ask any kinds of questions, which they did come because in the beginning, I didn't really know what to say. I didn't, I was sad to see you so broken down, um, but I didn't really understand all of it. And so as I kind of started asking more questions and questions now that I probably didn't need to know the answers to, but you were very willing to answer whatever I wanted to ask. And as I kind of started to understand the world of pornography more and more, I became pretty angry with you, um, felt a lot of hurt and betrayal and sadness, uh, really lonely, um, but anger. And so, yeah, I mean, that lasted for a while. We, we talked for what felt like two weeks. I mean, it was a long time of just kind of clearing everything out, but, mm -hmm. um, it was super necessary. Yeah. Um, I know that since then you've talked to other women, who've been had a similar story, similar experience as you've talked to these women, do you find that the emotions you experienced initially uh, are pretty consistent and common across the board? That kind of shock, confusion, turn to anger, betrayal, hurt, frustration. Have you, have you found that that's somewhat common? Yeah. Yeah. I think the blind side for sure. Um, a lot of, I mean, I didn't ever think that Oh, it would be my husband that has mm -hmm. a pornography addiction. So I think a lot of women, it's very common to be blindsided by you just, you think, you know, your husband, and then you find this, this pretty big secret. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the anger, the hurt, the betrayal from the women that I've talked to, that seems to be pretty common. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, how did your emotions around the situation develop, change? So I don't think you still are angry. I mean, at times you are, but you know, obviously a year and a half later, things look very different. How have things changed and what helped you, what helped those things change? Like what did the process look like for you after those first initial couple weeks of anger and question asking and getting your bearings? What happened next? Yeah. The anger lasted for a long time and anger, I mean, anger doesn't have to be, I'm yelling in your face all the time. Like anger can be, anger can look a lot of different ways and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Um, the gift of anger is passion. And so I learned that it's okay actually to be angry at you. And it is a good thing um, because it means I'm passionate about something. I'm passionate about the ways that you hurt me. I'm passionate about what I think our marriage should look like. Um, and so it took a while to understand that it's okay to be angry at you. And that lasted for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, back to in the beginning, like mm -hmm. when you first confessed, yeah. um, one thing that felt 
weird was we would have every once in a while like good moments mm-hmm. like we, we would feel natural between the two of us like i would want to be around you i would be happy to be around you we would laugh and have jokes and stuff and that did not feel okay i remember thinking like this is a really hard season right now we're we don't deserve to have these happy moments because we right. haven't gone through the whole healing process yet and so um i had friends who told me it is okay to be happy with your husband mm-hmm. that's a that's a good thing you should be okay with that it's um yeah good thing but I didn't quite know how to be with you in front of other people that didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. So it was a really small group of people that knew right after you confessed and Mm -hmm. it kind of stayed that way. And so it was weird to go to church and to be around you and to not necessarily want to be happy around you, Mm -hmm. to be excited to see you, but constantly worrying like, do other people see my fake happiness towards you or... It just, it didn't quite feel okay to have good days with you or good moments. And then it, I didn't know how to um, be around you in front of other people mm. that didn't know what was going on. Yeah. If it maybe felt like you were putting on a face or a mask for the outside world when there was this internal turmoil or stuff going on inside that you didn't quite know what to do with. Yeah. And then it came to a point where I didn't like not sharing that part because I I want to be honest and transparent with people. And that was a big part of what was affecting me at that time. And yeah. so it was hard to have, hard to be around family specifically hmm. um, and to kind of have, yeah, that fake happiness, but to not be able to share. Because I, I was, I felt strongly that it wasn't my place to share your sin Mm -hmm. and so we had to be on the same page about when we're going to start telling more people Mm -hmm. and i think that that was hard having to wait until you were ready um i think it took you a little while to be ready for that um so yeah it it made it weird to be around people especially because i was ready to maybe share that part of what i was going through Mm -hmm. but i didn't i was scared to overstep maybe what you were ready to share. Yeah, that's good. What were some things people told you in the early stages that you found to be true and most helpful? So if, if there's someone listening right now who like very recently, their husband has confessed this or they're, they're in this these initial things, what would you want someone like that to know? What were things that people told you or that you realized early on that you found to be helpful? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing is that I was told was that the initial sting of first confession is not enough to stop this sin. So after you first confessed, it was hard and you didn't confess again for a long time. And um, I think maybe we both thought it's out, we're broken, we're hurting from this, it's never gonna be a problem Mm -hmm. again. And we were reminded that that's not the case there has to be a heart change. It's not just enough to see the other person so broken by your sin that that's enough to make Mm -hmm. it go away. And so that was, I can say now and almost two years later, that was really good to hear. Um, And I would say that to somebody um, if they're finding out for the first time is that I hope something never happens again, but there's a good chance it will. And so not putting your hope in that this one-time confession is the only time you will ever have to talk about it again. Right. Um, and with that, I was also told that 
it's going to be a long road. I don't think I understood what that meant because yeah, chances are it will happen again and again and again and again, and there will continue to be confession and conversation around it. And that creates a really long road, a long healing process, a lot of building trust and breaking trust. And I can also see that now, almost two years later, that Mm -hmm. it has been a really long road Mm -hmm. and it continues to be a long road. Um, And so I would share that. And I think too, um, it's probably worth um, coming to terms with this might be a part of your marriage for the rest of your marriage. Mm. Um, Again, I hope it doesn't ever come up again in, Mm -hmm. in your story, but I think I've had to get to a place of this is a part of our story and it probably will always be an ongoing conversation, um, maybe more sporadic, but I still have to check in on you mm-hmm. um, and it might always be that way and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about this in one of the previous episodes, but you know, addiction, creating a pattern in your brain of the same thing over and over and over again becomes so natural that it's really difficult to break that. You can't expect a 10 to 15 year addiction to just change Mm -hmm. in a month or two. There's a lot of adrenaline and a lot of kind of external secondary motivators in those first couple months because of how much your wife is crying and how bad you feel and now everyone knows, but that fades and you're just neurologically, you slip back into the same patterns. And so, yeah, for the wives to know that our hope, our prayer is that it never happens again. Mm-hmm. And we believe that Jesus has the power to make that a reality. We believe the spirit can change a heart so drastically that neurological brain pathways don't matter because of the spirit's power. We believe that can happen and we pray for that. Mm-hmm. We want that. We long for that. But we also pair that with a, a caution to say, okay, even if we pray for that, we hope for that. And yet, even if that doesn't happen, here's how we're going to, we're going to continue to walk forward with that. So that's, it's been a year and a half. Um, how do you feel now? How have things changed? What has the almost two year journey been like for you as far as healing, rebuilding trust, um, your thoughts towards me, your feelings towards me, like what are things like now and and how have they gotten to be there? Things are a lot better now. I think the last two years has been a lot of holding each other accountable, a lot of um, bringing community into that. Um, And community can look really small in this too. So for me, it was having one or two people that I was really needy with. And that's what I would encourage uh, any wife going through this is it's okay to be needy with your people um, Mm -hmm. because chances are you're going to have to come back over and over and over and um, trust that they will continue to show you grace. Because I think there was a point for me that I felt um, maybe shame about coming to my friends over and over like they're going to see me differently. They're going to see my husband differently because this is still an ongoing thing in our marriage. Um, But over time, you trust that they don't see your husband differently. They don't see you differently. So that's what has been most helpful for me is having one or two people that um, 
I could also be really honest with too and say, like verbalize how angry I was at you because I trust that they don't see you any differently. Mm -hmm. I can be totally honest and say things that probably I don't need to say, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's good to just say it out loud. So having those people consistent, um, I would say consistency for sure. Um, And then there's a ministry called Tin Man that we both did. Um, It was recommended that we go through Tin Man, which is just like one-on-one coaching or counseling. Yeah, it's technically not counseling, but coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I would say was more helpful for you than it was for me. Still learn things, but um, it was a place where you could learn about yourself Um, kind of learn your story. Um, I would say ever since I've known you up until confession, Mm -hmm. um, you've been kind of an emotionless guy and that I guess I just got used to, but by going through your story, you kind of learned maybe why, I mean, you learned who you are today and and just kind of how we were raised has a lot to do with who we are today. And so it helped me really understand you. So maybe it wasn't so helpful for me, but I learned a lot through what you were learning about yourself too, Mm -hmm. which helped me understand kind of that world of pornography more triggers, um, kind of situations maybe that I could be watchful for. Um, and I mean, this was something that was a part of your life well before we knew each other. And Mm so learning maybe what brought you to that place even. Um, Today is a lot better than where we were, Mm -hmm. but it's still a conversation. Not nearly as often, but there are still times where there's confession. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it almost hurts more now because it's been such a long road that it's frustrating that it's even still a, a, a conversation to sure. be had. Yeah. Um, but I think the more the more that you confess, the easier it is for me to hear it, to respond to it. Um, maybe it's initially I'm angry at you, but that quickly fades to grace and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, today we have, we still have conversations about it, but not nearly as often. Sure. Um, something I was thinking about oftentimes wives can take, I think understandably so their husband's addiction to pornography very personally and feel like there's something maybe wrong with them physically, or they can feel a lot of shame or insecurity about the way they look or, um, you know, those kinds of things. Did you feel that? Did you experience that? what was helpful in dealing with that? Um, yeah. What did that aspect of this look like for you? Um, it really got in my head of just, what do you think of me? What do you see in me? Does it change um, the way you view me? And that came out a lot just through intimacy. Um, it's such a vulnerable thing in marriage that, is really affected through pornography. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that's where I noticed it the most was at a time where you're vulnerable, um, in a space where you want to feel confident, it kind of shatters your confidence. It can shatter your confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I've had, I had thoughts of if we don't have sex, 
is something else going to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I do or don't do something, or is it going to send you back to where you went? Um, and that's really hard. Yeah. I mean, that's really hard to battle with. And then that's where a lot of the trust gets built and then shattered again is through sex. I mean, you don't just get to stop having sex because your husband confessed to mm-hmm. an addiction to pornography, which is what I thought you could do. Um, that's something that I was kind of called out in was I thought that I could kind of keep that from you until you proved yourself to mm-hmm. not have a problem with this anymore. Um, and that's not fair. I mean, that's not loving you unconditionally. And so I think we have to kind of, we have to believe in God's unconditional love towards us and be obedient to that through like being intimate. And that's incredibly difficult. I would encourage wives. That's incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I would say it affected my um, my confidence um, specifically yeah. in the bedroom. So how did you work through that? Like, what did you find? What did people tell you that helped with that? What encouragement would you give? Because I'm I'm sure there's others out there who are feeling the exact same thing. So, kind of hope or encouragement would you offer? Um, I think back to the unconditional love. If we truly believe that we are loved unconditionally then here's a a pretty incredible way to live that out and show your husband that you believe that. Um, I think that was a huge area that I had to really trust and believe that God would use that to heal me, to heal us um, by choosing you in in an area where you're choosing something else. Here's an area where I'm saying I choose you. There was a time where I, I remember telling you I know this is not about me, but it does affect me. And that is, I would say, specific to our story because this was something that was a problem for you uh, before I knew you. So Mm -hmm. I think over time, the more that um, you had to confess after that first initial one, it kind of was a way of proving to me that this is an addiction. And so there's a reason that you keep coming back to it because I did get to a place of trusting that you do want me more than going to pornography. Mm -hmm. You do, you would choose me over Mm -hmm. pornography. There was a, a, I got to a place of really believing that. Um, And so I don't know if that makes sense, but the more that you came to me and confessed it to me, I think I saw that this really is something that is wired in your brain. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason that you keep going back to it. And so, um, it definitely affects me because it's hurtful yeah. and um, it's very, it's personal, but I also realize it's not about me. And again, that's, I think it was helpful for me to get to that place because I knew that this was a, a history for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's everybody's story, sure. but. Uh, and, and, that, and that doesn't excuse the sin, but yeah. it, it's helpful in understanding, you know, <clears throat> that doesn't make it okay. It doesn't justify it. But maybe it helps helped you you wrap your mind around just understanding it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, another question you're not prepped for, but I thought about it when you were talking. I think often I, I've heard a lot in situations like this where men are encouraged maybe not to confess to their wives or not to have their wives as an accountability partner. That it puts a lot of burden on you to um, be getting covenant eyes reports and to always be wondering and for. For, to always have to be hearing those. It's like confess those things to some guys that 
and then you just trust and know that I'm doing that. What are your thoughts on that as a wife? How, how much do you want to know and how much are you okay with other men in my life knowing and you trusting that? Does that question make sense? I think so. Um, in the beginning, I wanted to know everything. Yeah. I wanted to know anytime a thought popped up in your head because I didn't trust you. Mm-hmm. And so any information that you were willing to give me was a chance for me to kind of build trust with mm-hmm. you. So I wanted to know every every thought that you had about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think over time, I've learned I don't necessarily need to know every time you have a tempting thought um, because that doesn't always lead to something. Right. Um, which is where I think you having guys that you can bring those thoughts to is is helpful. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, I wanted to know everything, but I also wanted you to be giving telling everything to somebody else mm-hmm. too, because I think um, maybe the wife can get to a place of now I have, they can be like obsessively cautious mm-hmm. of, I have to watch for the next time this is going to happen. I can't let this happen. And a lot of, I mean, people I know are, I mean, we're busy, we're moms, we're working, we're doing all kinds of stuff. And here's another thing on top of our list of to do's. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's exhausting. Yeah. It's not It's not on us to be consumed with when is it going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, we should be cautious and watchful, but there's no need to obsess over it. And so it brought me a lot of peace knowing that you had somebody else that was either holding you accountable or you were continually confessing to. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of has switched to where I don't, I don't feel like I need to know everything now but I do want you to be telling everything to somebody. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, in the, in the beginning though. It's helpful for building trust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. One other thought about trust is um, I noticed my trust would build for you when I didn't see you for your sin. When, yeah, when I didn't see you for your sin, I was able to see that you are forgiven. You are just as much in need of grace as I am. And it helped me be able to build trust with you. Yeah. No, that's helpful that when you see people in your life as Christ sees them, clothed in righteousness, purity, and holiness that he's purchased for us on the cross, then sin still has a, an effect, but that sin doesn't identify them. And so mm-hmm. <clears throat> it sounds like what you're saying is that you had to work to not see me as a sinner, uh, but as a saint who was struggling with sin and sin that was really hurtful and, and had an impact on you, but that didn't define or identify me. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. 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 Let's keep going on that. How, how would you, how would you speak the gospel in this situation? What would your encouragement be to women out there who are in your shoes, uh, who might someday be in your shoes? What gospel encouragements would you give that were helpful for you during this process? Yeah. Well, first I would say, your husband is not God. It's can be easy. I mean, if you're in this situation, it's incredibly hurtful. I get that. But your husband is not God. And I would say there's a real freedom in believing that because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we can be fully satisfied in him. He loves us perfectly because our husbands can't. With that too, um, I hope that you can find peace in knowing that Jesus felt hurt and betrayal as well. He understands those emotions. 
he felt anger and sadness. And so it's okay to feel those things. And I, yeah, I hope you find peace in knowing that um, Christ experienced those same emotions. Mm -hmm. He, He understands. And there's grace. There's grace for you. There's grace for your husband. Um, and it might be hard to extend it, but this could be a really great time to start practicing extending grace towards your husband. If we really believe that we are shown grace, what better time to live that out and to extend that towards your husband? He needs it. Um, our husbands need to be shown grace in this season. It, it is a hard place to be for them too. Chances are they've been living with this secret for a long time. Um, there's a lot of shame involved. And so, yeah, they need they need to be shown grace just as much as, as we're shown grace. Mm-hmm. And then I think, too, along with just not seeing your husband for your sin, understanding that you sin as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be easy to see this, and I did this. Um, it's easy to see this as your big sin and, and to not be able to recognize our own sin. Um, but we also sin. And so it could be a pretty humbling time. Um, there's freedom in confession. Something we did that I think was helpful and we ha- we've gotten out of this practice, but I would encourage couples to do it is have a night of the week. That's like a family meeting where we would share celebrations, confessions, and then a challenge for one another. And, you know, I think for from the husband's perspective, confessing something like pornography feels like a really big sin. And when your wife is like, yeah, well, I had a bad thought about my friend today. It's kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know? And so I thought I found it helpful. Part of that's on the husband to be like, Hey, all sin is equal. You are not worse. You're not a worse sinner than your wife. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also, it's also helpful to encourage or challenge the wives to really be keenly aware of their sin and be willing to share that with their husband. Um, not as like a comparison game and well, you think your sin's bad. Look at my sin kind of thing. But in the practice of, of confessing sin in our hearts and our lives and throughout the day, both to one another is really helpful in creating an environment and then in a marriage where that's accepted and welcomed and free, you're free to do that. Uh, I found that, I thought that was helpful because initially it was like, okay, Jenna could confess that, you know, she got mad at one of our kids. It's like, who doesn't, you know? Yeah. Whereas the things I have to confess are this bigger issue. Um, yeah, so I think that's helpful to, to and hear. And that's a, that's a, it's kind of hard to learn to uh, recognize your sin, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, through confessing to one another, it also does, I think it helps remind me, it, it kind of knocks me off of my pedestal of maybe my sin isn't an addiction to pornography, but I still sin. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it humbles me to not pride myself in, well, I don't have this big sin, but it almost kind of normalizes things for everybody in that we all sin and we all need grace and we all need forgiveness and we're given that through Christ. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. How would you say personally your understanding of the gospel and your love for Jesus has grown or changed over the last year and a half? At the end of the day, he's my ultimate satisfaction. Um, I love you. I will always choose you, but I know that we will fail each other. And I know that Christ will never fail me. He has never failed me. And um, I think that that has grown a, a deep love for him of, I think that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, I've learned that, yeah, my, my, my trust in him, he wants 
he wants me to trust in him because he won't, I, I keep saying he won't fail me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's been a big uh, way I've, I've learned, understood the gospel, I think. Um, understanding my sins, I think the last two years I've, I've grown in, in understanding my own sin and my own mm-hmm. need for grace too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's helped me extend that towards you. But um, understanding the gospel in Christ chooses me too. Yeah. Um, and he, I need grace and just as much. So Yeah, that's good. And I think you would, you've said this before, and maybe this is helpful for people to hear. You would much prefer marriage today with all of the pain, the difficulty, the confession of sin, the struggle, the feel like crawling, the trust building and breaking. You would much prefer that than marriage before, right? Oh yeah. I would not want to go back to uh, what marriage looked like before. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of growth and health, I think, to our marriage that has come through pain and brokenness and difficulty. And that's the gospel, right? The, yeah. the, the life that Jesus provides only comes after he dies the death we deserve. And so confession and the months and years that come after it feel like death, but they actually lead to greater life in marriage. And I think we're experiencing that in ways we never knew we could. Um, and so whoever's out there listening, I would encourage you. I think we both encourage you husbands confess your sins to your wife. Um, if you're still holding on to something that is, has been in hiding, please die the death of confession. It's painful. It's hard. It's broken. It's messy, but there is, there's life and health and healing on the other side of that. And wives, you're loved, you're seen, you're cared for. And hopefully, um, you know that God has not abandoned or forgotten you when it seems like all the attention or focus is on your husband and his problem. And so do you have anything else you would add? Any closing thoughts, anything you were hoping to talk about that you didn't get to? I would just say that if you are in this situation and you don't necessarily have that those one or two people, um, I would be more than happy to talk with you, to talk, listen, share anything else. Um, it's just really important to have those those people. So if you don't, please reach out. Yeah. I would be more than happy to. Great. Yeah, you can get in contact with Jenna by reaching out to Zach, who produces this, and his contact's always in the show notes, and he'll pass, pass your message along to Jenna. So yeah, thanks, Jenna, for being here. Uh, thanks for sharing and I know you were nervous, but you did a great job. So uh, thank you all listeners for tuning in, for uh, sticking with us. Um, Hope you found this helpful, beneficial, uh, and encouraging um, as we talk about something that unfortunately I just don't think gets talked about a lot. So uh, we'll catch you next time. Saints in Society. Mm